You are listening to the Invitation Church podcast. To learn more about Invitation Church, visit us online at invitation605.com. You can also download our app on iTunes and Google Play by searching for Invitation 605. Well, good evening, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Yeah. Hot mic. I like it. Um, it is good to see everybody tonight, and David gave me a ring, gave me an opportunity um, to teach, and so for the last few days, I've been brewing on, uh, you know, what maybe has God been kind of working on in my life, and uh, what would be a good uh, message for us as a church to work through, and um, I don't know why, but lately I've been thinking through some of the encounters I've had that have been life-changing. Has anybody in here ever had a life-changing encounter, right? A moment, it might have been with God, it might have been with somebody else. Um, and I was trying to think of like what creates those moments and, and what brings those moments on. And probably more importantly, um, what should define us as people who follow God um, in those moments and in, in those times. And so I was thinking about um, maybe what the you know common characteristic was. So I thought maybe it was location. And um, then I got thinking about the locations where they have taken place for me, right? One was in the auditorium at National American University in Rapid City. Um, one was on the steps of a house on 6th Avenue when I got a letter from a youth student. One happened on the interstate right where it turns to 80 mile an hour, right? Like one of those moments was right there. One of those moments was at Cheaper by the Dozen too, right? Yeah, at that movie. Because, of course, that's where you have a life-changing, profound uh, time. One was at this gigantic church in Chicago called Willow Creek, and if this was the stage, it happened in the balcony um, right up there. Um, one for me happened at the sound booth at the church I was working at um, called Hillcrest. One for me um, happened on in the living room in a house, the first house we owned we were living in while my wife was holding our daughter. Oh my gosh, profound, like they, so I, I'll try to think, maybe it was um, a location, and I, I got thinking, like, that doesn't seem to be right, even though there's these places that are special to us, like churches and camps and things um, like that. So then I thought, maybe it has something to do with um, a teacher, right? And then I got thinking about the people who were involved in those moments, and they ranged everything from, and I mean this with endearment, stupid little middle school kids to incredibly great preachers to wise counselors, to my wife, to friends, to kind of things. And I realized like, well, geez, there's not like a, a formula of a person that's involved or something like that. So then I got to thinking about, um, well, maybe it has to do with how I design my life, right? If I design my life just right, and if I'm doing the right things, then like the doors or the gates of heaven open up and it comes down upon me and you have this life-changing experience um, and it goes goes like that. And then um, I got to thinking about um, some of those happened when my life was not arranged very well. Um, and some of those happened when my life was arranged pretty well. And um, to be honest with you, I don't ever really know when my life is arranged well or not arranged well, right? It's just kind of a thing we do and we work through and we struggle through. So I couldn't come up with like, okay, if I just arrange my life and my ways, and I do these certain things. Um, then these encounters will happen. So tonight I want to talk about what it looks like um, for us, and I, I hope a bent that we can have or an understanding we can have as a church 
and as an individual of an encounter with God. Because we talk a lot about an, uh, these encounters with God, and I think a lot of us desire and search and want to have one of those, and I think maybe we have more of them than we even realize. I think we maybe come face-to-face with God um, and the work of God more often than um, we would ever recognize. And I want to look at a verse that some of us might be familiar with, some of you might be new, but it, it's a fairly popular one. I'm sure you've seen it on a felt board if you've grown up in church or something like that. Um, and this is where uh, Jacob wrestles with God. So what I want to do is I want to just read the scripture tonight, and then I want to point out a few observations I have um, within this scripture. And I hope what they do is they help us um, have a certain bent or a certain approach to life or a certain outlook to life that'll help us and kind of put us in that spot um, ready for God to do things in our lives that we can never ever imagine. And honestly, some of them we could imagine, and maybe some of them we don't even know, right? Like some of them we don't even recognize till later. Um, that's one thing too I'd remind you about the scriptures. The scriptures are looking back, you know, they don't, they're not in the middle of their story when they're written. So a lot of the impact that God had on Jacob's lives and what happened on Jacob's lives and his ability to see and our ability to see what God was doing when you're talking about the scriptures, you couldn't write, you couldn't go back and write in your journal that night, okay? You couldn't go write in your diary. You couldn't go type an email. You couldn't post a Facebook post of how the day went, um, sort of thing. So when people are writing, writing scripture, they're reflecting back and they're seeing what was happening in their life and they're seeing the meaning of it from that standpoint. So I think also that's kind of an important thing for us to remember tonight. Um, as much as we're wondering about what is God up to right now, um, are we also a people who can look back to see what God has been up to so we can see those patterns and recognize those patterns? So this is what it says in Genesis 32, starting with um, verse 22. It says, that night, very specific time and date, right? Very specific time and date. That night, um, Jacob got up and took his two wives his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbat. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was, uh, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. So, first of all, first thing I recognize about Jacob is when do we have encounters with God, right? There's a clear prescription here with, with Jacob of when we have an encounter with God and what is going on in our life. So to do that, I want to kind of give you some background on Jacob, all right? So here's a little bit to know about Jacob. Jacob is a twin, right? He was born at the same time um, as Esau. Even though he was the second born, which means he kind of misses out on like all the blessings and being the guy who takes over the family and stuff, 
his mom had a vision that he would actually be the one that would carry some things on. So anyways, he's born, he's a twin. He has a brother, Esau. Uh, they grow up. Esau, believe it or not, marries a couple of ladies from the local area. These ladies caused the family some stress. Um, Jacob, by the way, is a man of the tent. And Esau is like this mighty hunter warrior. So um, I think it's kind of a scriptural way of saying Jacob's kind of femi um, kind of thing, you know, feminine side, kind of like that. And so, you know, not typically like it's trying to say like he's not out there being this warrior uh, kind of thing. Um, let's see. Oh, he uh, he knows and believes that he's supposed to kind of go on to um, lead the family, lead the people of God and stuff like this. So. Um, how he goes about it is he actually talks his brother Esau into selling his birthright, basically because Esau was hungry and thought he was starving and he asked for soup. And Jacob's like, if you sell me your birthright, then we can talk soup, right? Like every good loving brother um, would do. Um, let's see. Uh, in this relationship, in this family, his mom, Rebecca, liked Jacob, but his dad, Isaac, actually liked Esau. Um, he does actually get the blessing and become the next patriarch of the family. And he does that because his mom comes up with this scheme, this trick where he puts like goat hair on his arms because his brother Esau was hairy and he cooks his dad a meal and this and that. And he tricks himself into um, getting the blessing of his dad and moving uh, forward that way, which is something he wants to do. Uh, let's see what else happens to him. Um, Rebecca doesn't want him to fall in love with some of the ladies from the local place who caused so much problems for their family. So she actually sends him back to where she's from to find a lady. When he gets there, he actually falls in love. Oh, well, actually on the way there, he has this encounter with God again at this place. It's called Jacob's Ladder, but it was just this place. So he has this encounter with God. He continues on. He falls in love with this lady, Rachel, right when he gets to his uncle's place. And oh, by the way, why is he going to his uncle's place? Esau is incredibly mad, his brother, because he stole his blessing. And Esau has made it very clear that you're pretty good until dad, dad dies. And once dad dies, right, can you see this? Brothers would never do this, right? You know, it's like, it's like something happens and then as soon as, you know, mom and dad think they have it settled and as soon as mom and dad aren't looking, Right? So Esau's after him. Esau wants to kill him. And he goes there, falls in love with Rachel. He goes and does this noble thing. And he asks the dad if he can marry Rachel. The dad says, absolutely, you can marry Rachel. Just work for me for seven years. So he works for seven years for her dad. Um, goes, has a wedding, has a marriage, wakes up the next morning, realizes it's actually Rachel's sister, Leah. And so he goes back and says, like, what in the heck? Why don't you let me marry this girl, Rachel, that I, your daughter, Rachel, that I want? Dad's basically like, look, it's our tradition. Got to marry the oldest one first. So, but here's the deal. As soon as the wedding festivities are done, I'll let you marry Rachel right away as long as you'll stay, stay around for seven more um, years, all right? So, anyways, he goes on. He works seven more years. Uh, and then he has now two wives, which is just interesting in its own self, right? But like the one he really likes is very clear. He likes one over the other one. But in that day, um, having children was an important thing. And the one he didn't like as well was having children like, whoa, it was like going out of fashion. The other one was not having children. So this created some tension between his two wives. And so now these two wives were kind of upset at each other and kind of upset at him. Um, and that was going on. Anyways, finally, the wife he liked really really like was starting to have children. Pretty soon they both weren't having children. 
Then there were these mandrakes involved because they were believed these flowers could help you have children. And so the wife he didn't like traded that to the wife he really liked, but that's so the wife he didn't like could sleep with him that night. I mean, this guy's got a lot going on in his life, right? Um, so what else do we have uh, going on? Oh, yeah. So eventually he uh, decides, look, I've kind of grown up. I've worked 14 years. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I want to move on. So he makes an agreement with um, his father-in-law and he says, here's, make this little agreement about which sheep and which goats I can take. And then he goes on and becomes like this master rancher using genetics and all kinds of things. So he gets the best sheep. This makes his father-in-law mad. He is now running away from his father-in-law, right? He's running from his father-in-law because his father-in-law was going to let him go. But now his father-in-law is mad and his father-in-law is actually chasing him down. Well, by the way, guess what? He's leaving and heading back to where he came from. And he's going to, and he knows he's going to, meet his brother who, remember, his brother wanted to. Right? And he's going along and he has to cross a river. And he's at the river, and he's crossing it, and he has got all these people across, except for his family and except for his personal possessions. And then it says, in the middle of this night, which is interesting that they're crossing this river in the middle of the night, he gets his family across, um, and he gets his possessions across. And um, I want to point out the first thing. There's a reason I share this background with you about Jacob, when it comes to having an encounter with God. When it comes to having a moment where God is going to change our lives, where God is going to do something unique, um, what I want you to know is it does happen in a certain context. It happens in the context of life. And it happens in the context of messy lives. Jacob's life is a wreck. Jacob's life is all over the place. And I don't think it's a wreck because he's any different than you and I. I think it's a wreck because he's a lot like you and I. And he's just doing the best he can with what he has and where he has. And it is in the middle of this crazy, chaotic, busy life that God has an encounter with you. And so tonight, the first thing I would ask us to know is I believe... Um, God will meet us in the chaos. I believe God will meet us in the messiness. And think about it again. We're not writing about everything that's going on in here, right? This isn't a journal. This isn't a diary. It's tough to write. We didn't get to hear about the fact that his kid threw a fit. The tire went flat. He was late for work. His boss was a jerk. He's mad at his wife. Well, we did hear a little bit about that. Um, she's mad at him. He forgot to shut the garage door. Uh, not to mention that he was posting something on Facebook, thought it wasn't that big a deal, and everybody lit him up about it. And it was in the middle of that life um, that God meets him, and God meets him just at this place, the, the Jabbok River. It's not famous. It's not spiritual. It's not known for anything. Um, but I think there's another thing that we should point out when it comes to this idea of having an encounter with God. Um, then I'm going to put my glasses back on because I forgot I can't read without them anymore. This is new to me. I'm just learning this here. And it said, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbat. 
After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. So Jacob was left alone. Um, I do think there is somewhat of a recipe for an encounter with God. And I think it's to find some space that we're alone. And sometimes that space can be created on purpose, right? We get off, we get away, and we have to sit with our thoughts and what we're thinking and who we are and what we're being. And I think sometimes that space is uh, created for us, right? An event happens in life, a thing happens in life, and we find ourselves alone. Um, Because if you think about his life and if you think about our life, it's really hard to listen. It's really hard to have an encounter. It's really hard to meet someone or something or think of something new um, with all the noise that's in our life. And so not only um, do I think God comes and has an encounter with us in the middle of our chaos, I also believe typically maybe it's not that God shows up in the silence, but in the silence is where we recognize and see God. It's like he is running. Remember, he's running from his father-in-law. He's just trying to get his family across the river. He gets them across the river, and then it's like, I'm by myself, right? And so he has this space, and he has this time, and he has um, this silence. And so I would challenge any of us in this room. um, We're not very good at this as a modern people, uh, but... Typically, in the ancient life, there's a Sabbath that's kind of brewed into your day or your week. And that might be tough to do in this day and age. But my question would be for you, um, where do you have space? Where do you have space from the busy, crazy, chaotic life you're living? And I can't tell you that a man is going to show up and wrestle with you when you have that space. Um But I can tell you that space is absolutely necessary for us to think, for us to listen, for us to hear. I think sometimes it's absolutely necessary for us to know what's actually going on in our lives. I think sometimes we run so fast and we run so hard that we don't know what's actually going on in our lives. Um, Here's a deal, too. Does anybody know what the word Jacob means? at least for the Hebrew, not for us. Jacob, you can close your ears on this. This isn't for you. But in the Hebrew, what does the word Jacob mean? It means he grasps the heel. Uh, Jacob came out of the womb grasping and, and holding on to the heel of his brother Esau. Um, in ancient terms, the idea of grasping the heel is actually a, a, a term they would use to call you a deceiver. So Jacob's, Jacob's identity from the beginning is a deceiver, right? It's interesting because it could get pretty easy to knock on Jacob, but I'd have to wonder if Jacob was his mom's favorite and his mom really liked Jacob, and if Jacob was somebody who was a man of the tent, right? Liked hanging around the tent, cooking, uh, taking care of things, taking care of that business, I wonder if his mom and him ever had any discussions. I wonder if his mom ever shared with him 
that she had when they were in her womb, she had this vision that Jacob was actually going to be the leader of the people of God. I wonder if Jacob knew that, and I think the answer is he absolutely knew that. But it's interesting, at the first point, at this point up to uh, Jacob's life, he's a grasper. He's a deceiver. He knows his calling. He knows what God has wired him to do. He knows where he's supposed to be going. But Jacob has spent most of his life deceiving, tricking, grasping, trying to make it happen. And I think that's an interesting um, point here because in Jacob's busy, busy life, I think he has good intentions. I think he's a guy that really believes he's moving in the direction God wants him to go. But on the same token, I don't think she realizes the chaos and the grief and the hurt and the pain and all the things that are going on with life. And a lot of it has to do with his approach. A lot of it has to do with him trying to make things happen. A lot of it has to do with him um, having this maybe glorified picture of what his life should look like and then trying to force that into being. So the interesting thing is, is Jacob finds himself with space in the middle of a messy life. So I want to point out another thing um, that I think is important when we have an encounter with God. Um, if you read this, we say this is God, Jacob wrestling with God, but it says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Interesting, right? A man wrestled with him till daybreak. Title says wrestled with God. Uh, the Hebrew term here for it says maybe could be um, interpreted like an angelic, angelic being. But the interesting thing is, is um, the wrestling starts at night and the wrestling ends at day, daybreak, right? So the, it's the, in, in Jacob's perspective, he is wrestling with a man. It's night. It's dark. They don't have streetlights. He can't turn on the living room light. He can't turn on his maglite, right? He can't figure out what's going on. But Jacob ends up in this ultra wrestling match, which I think is just amazing. You can wrestle all night. I'm a good wrestler for about 30 seconds and then I'm winded, right? You know, but Jacob could do this wrestling all night. And so I think another, um, another important quality that I think is important to know when we have an encounter of God is often um, that encounter comes in the shape of other humans. Often that encounter might come in um, mothering or fathering in the pains and joys that can come there. Often that encounter might come with the adversity that you have to go through in um, a job or if you're a kid in a sport. I think it's important to realize that encounters with God often look very similar to encounters with human beings. And it's sometimes hard to differentiate what's going on. And in your life today, I would wonder, um, who are you wrestling with? Where is there a struggle? Or where are you on a journey with somebody? 
and you really think that it's just your boss or it's just parenting your kid or it's just going through this particular space in time with a group of people, but really it may be God. It may be that God has found some space with you and God's wrestling with you and God's going to the mat with you. So I think it's important to know that when we have encounters um, with God, it often takes the shape of human beings. And so maybe that human, maybe that frustration, maybe um, that pain in the asparagus that you're thinking about right now, uh, maybe that's God. Maybe that's God working in your life in a way that you could ever, never, ever imagine. So it says, uh, when they saw our, we'll continue on him. Darn it, I got to get better at these glasses. So Jacob um, was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. I find it interesting, too, that God couldn't beat Jacob. Maybe God didn't want to, right? Because maybe um, the wrestling, maybe the act, uh, we often think of God getting God's way. We often think of God being all powerful. We often think of God being able to do anything he can, can move a mountain if he just can't wrestle Jacob. But I think sometimes, too, God chooses to for, chooses for the wrestling match to occur. He chooses for the struggle to occur. And what I like about here is sometimes having an encounter with God is willing to hold on. Willing to hold on past the time that you think it will take. Now, this is different than deceiving. Now, this is different than holding on and, and grasping and trying to make something happen. Instead, this is, the, this is about staying in the wrestling match. I think more than um, any time in history, we are a people that don't like to wrestle, right? We have Facebook groups of people who believe the same as us. We typically um, more than ever separate ourselves to be around people that believe just like us. If things are uncomfortable, we don't like to have those conversations. Um, we are a people who gravitate, gravitate towards comfort and easy, um, and it makes sense. That's part of being the human way. But I think the thing that marks Jacob in this particular encounter with God is he's willing to go to the mat. He's willing to go all the way. And it's not until daybreak when he can actually see God that he realizes that he's in this infamous, rest, infamous wrestling match with God. And so I would... Um, ask, are we the type of people that can hang in there? Are we the type of people that can get into a moment that's tough and difficult? And can we stick with it until we figure out what God's doing in our lives? Because I think um, a true encounter with God is difficult. I think a true encounter with God takes a lot of times to figure things out. It doesn't feel good. It takes some energy. It takes some thinking. It takes all kinds of um, withness and toughness to stick in there with God. And then I'll leave you with, I think, the last thing that an encounter with God does is um, 
Well, I'm going to leave you with two, actually. Is that the last thing an encounter with God does, and I'm going to put them together, is it leaves a mark on your life, and it changes. It changes the essence of who you are. I think the most profound thing when you leave here is Jacob has this encounter with God, and he gets to walk away with a limp. Right? So often we think about these encounters with God, and, and all this is true, so I don't want to take away from it. Right? We walk healed like we're you know, skipping and jumping, and our lives are better, and we'll live happy all the days kind of thing. But the interesting thing is, is when Jacob has this encounter with God, he leaves with a limp, a physical, actual limp, because when you have an encounter with God, it, um, it leaves its mark. And then also when it leaves its mark, it's interesting. The thing Jacob holds on to the whole time is he's wrestling and wrestling and wrestling, and he wants God to bless him. It's the exact same thing he wanted from his father. Before from his father, he deceived, he tricked, he, he was grasping, he was doing all kinds of things to make it happen. Where the interesting thing with God, he does something different. He wrestles. He wrestles and he holds on and he hangs in there and he wrestles and he wrestles and he wrestles. And finally, God asks this aha question for him. Who are you? Jacob. I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. And then God changes his name. And then God changes his name and says, no, you're not Jacob anymore. You now are going to be Israel. And that's an interesting change because he changes Jacob from the deceiver or the grasper and he changes him to the one who wrestles with God. What an interesting identity, huh? And so I'd say here today, in the busy of our chaotic life, where are the spaces that God might enter in and wrestle with you? Are we prepared to have an encounter with God that could leave a mark? I think of the most profound things that have happened in my life and encounters with God. They've left a mark. Some of them are hard stories to tell, hard things to think about. And most importantly, are we willing to let God change us from being a deceiver? Or maybe our thing is, and I think a deceiver is kind of a, a good description, right? A deceiver, I don't think it was meant to be... Um, like you couldn't trust Jacob. But I think the deceiver was Jacob had this image of light and he was doing everything he could to make that happen and to make that look and occur and take place. And the interesting thing was, is he was moving in the direction God had called him and what he was designed to do. But God changed him from that to a wrestler to somebody who instead was trying to make things happen and trying to uh, push things forward and trying to convince people. Instead, J Jacob became somebody who would wrestle and would wrestle as long as it took and as hard as needed to be until 
he was blessed and until his name was changed. And so my encouragement for us here tonight is um, I believe God has an encounter for all of us in this room. And I believe it will happen in the messy, chaotic life when you're mothering, fathering, teaching, leading, retiring, whatever it is you're doing. And I believe um, when we find a little bit of space, uh, we can hear that and we can see that. And that moment might be tough. It might be a wrestling match. It might take a long time. You might have to be pretty determined um, in it. You might have to hang in there and have some grit. And I believe when we have an encounter with God, it'll leave a mark on us. And that mark isn't always pretty, but that mark is beautiful. And ultimately, I believe it will change the very essence of who we are. Because God desires a group of people who are willing to wrestle. God desires a group of people who are willing to hang in there with them. Um, and when that happens, God changes lives. Would you pray with me? God, um, tonight, help us to be good wrestlers. Help us to be people who find spaces in the middle of our chaotic lives that you might um, meet us and wrestle with us. We know that that can be difficult and painful, but we also know that it can be life-changing. God, we're willing to do the hard work. We're willing to let what you do leave a mark on us. And more importantly, God, we're willing um, to let you change the very essence of who we are and the very essence of how we approach life. Um, so help us tonight to be good wrestlers. In the name of Jesus, amen.